In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who calls us so that we might call others. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this long weekend brought to you by the Civil Rights Movement, and especially this gentleman named Martin Luther King Jr., And we know his name. In fact, some of us maybe are are going to see Selma at some point. We, We know who he is. But a name that you maybe have not heard is the name E.D. Nixon. And E.D. Nixon was really, in a lot of ways, the reason that we are celebrating the holiday that we're celebrating. E.D. E. Nixon is really, uh, in a lot of ways, the, the reason that Martin Luther King Jr. is the Martin Luther King Jr. that we know and recognize today. And so you maybe are wondering, well, who is this E.D. Nixon guy? And I'm glad that Dale is here, uh, because E.D. Nixon was a president of a local chapter of the NAACP, just like Dale is. And E.D. Nixon uh, was also a good friend with this woman named Rosa Parks. In fact, uh, they had been together in, in a whole lot of different clubs, and Rosa Parks had recently been arrested because she refused to give up her seat on the bus to a, uh, to, to a white person. And uh, she said that uh, she called up E.D. Nixon and and kind of complained about this. And E.D. Nixon, uh, they had been kind of looking for a reason to challenge the laws that allowed that to be a thing. And E.D. Nixon heard her story and he said, I think that actually is something that might work for us to go and to challenge these unfair laws. And so he called up. His friend, Martin Luther King Jr., at the time just a young pastor at a local Baptist church. He was 26 years old at the time. And he called him up and he said, "Uh, Martin, I think that uh, we should do something about this. And I think that we need to get together. And um, uh, so I'm thinking we get together tonight at your church at about 730. And... Martin Luther King Jr. kind of hemmed and hawed, and he said, well, I don't know. But then eventually, E.D. Nixon finally convinced him that it was a good idea for them to meet. And uh, finally, Martin Luther King Jr. said, well, all right, we'll we'll go ahead and do it. And E.D. Nixon on the other line said, well, that's great, because I've already told 15 other people to be there. He had that sort of knowledge of... Martin Luther King Jr., that maybe it seems like Jesus had of Nathaniel in our gospel reading. That knowledge that Jesus, when he sees Nathaniel, he says, well, here is a true Israelite. And to us, that doesn't seem so weird, maybe, because we're used to Facebook stalking people. And we're like, yeah, I saw your photo on Instagram, and you were underneath a fig tree. But at the time... It was, well, not that common. And this resonated with Nathaniel for some particular reason, because when you see his reaction, his reaction is not just like, oh, well, you must have been walking by and you saw me under the fig tree. But his reaction is extreme. 
his reaction it starts off with, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? To, I saw you under a fig tree. And then he says, you are the son of the living God. And all of that came about because of this guy named Philip. Philip is sort of the E.D. Nixon, if you will, in this story. He is the guy who comes to Nathaniel, first of all, and he says, you have to come and see this guy. This is the guy that Moses was talking about. And Nathaniel, well, he's not quite so sure at first. And I think that that's the way that we are when it comes to this question of discipleship and how that works in our lives. In fact, this whole sermon series that we're doing is about this kind of audacious idea that we are baptized into the person and the character of Jesus Christ. That when we are baptized, that we are baptized in a way that we are to live out His will, His mission, in a way to be like little Christs to the people that are around us. And that is an audacious idea. And we see exactly how audacious that idea is when we bump up against this text and other texts like it, where we see Jesus Christ calling disciples. And because He called disciples, does that mean that we are to call disciples as well? And perhaps you're saying, I think I'm going to push away from the table now. Calling a disciple, I don't know that that's really who I am. I, I, I don't know how I would even go about doing that, except for the way that Jesus does it. I'll just walk around Tallahassee and talk to people and say, follow me and see who comes. Because otherwise I have no idea how to go about that process of calling somebody to be my disciple. And even then, I'm not even sure that I should be Well, calling anybody to be my disciple, that's weird, isn't it? Isn't that what cult leaders do? Well, maybe. But there's a long history in the Christian church of Christians calling disciples. It's a history that largely we have kind of forgotten it's a history that in a lot of ways we maybe have uh, put on the, the role of pastor that maybe I can call disciples, but certainly not you. But there's this long and rich history of Christians discipling one another. And I think that the problem comes because, well, we don't think that we can see other people underneath the fig tree. We don't think that there is something sort of magical or special about us. And really, we're actually kind of worried about what if people did follow me? What what if I did get a disciple? How many of you know Frankenstein? And when I say 
Frankenstein, you're probably thinking in your head about this guy with really big, heavy, clunky boots. You're thinking about a guy who is probably green. He's got a few different scars on his face and some bolts in his neck, right? But that's not Frankenstein. That is Frankenstein's monster. Dr. Frankenstein, or if you like the Mel Brooks movie, Dr. Frankenstein. (laughs) Dr. Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster. But I think that taps into our fear in discipling. It, It taps into a fear that perhaps if we call someone to be a disciple, they are going to be, well, we are going to be known for what they do. And in a way, that's true. In a way, we will be known by our monster. We're known by our sins. We're known by our shortcomings. We know that when it comes to calling a disciple, that I'm probably better suited for calling a disciple who can learn from me how to sin very effectively. I can create this Frankensteinian monster who knows how to sin in just the way that I do. In fact, if any of you want after service, we can get together and we can talk about how you can follow me in my sins. But that probably won't be very good for you, and I have no idea why you would want that. And so you realize that if we're calling people to be our disciples, that there has to be something more than just calling them to follow us. There has to be something like Philip was doing. Philip wasn't calling Nathaniel to say, hey, come and see me, Philip, doing all of these great things. Instead, he called Philip and he said, come and see Come and see this great Messiah. Come and see this person whom you can follow and in whom there is no sin. That if you follow him, the result will not be monstrous. But that the result will be filled with joy and peace. And he is someone who knows you at your very heart. He knows what to do in order to lead you into his righteousness. And he knows that that is always going to begin with the forgiveness of your sins. And it's not just going to begin there. It's going to have to be constantly applied to you again and again and again. His forgiveness given to you. Do you think that's a message that you could share? 
Hopefully it is. Because calling a disciple isn't that difficult. In fact, calling a disciple, it probably is going to freak them out if you walk up to somebody and you say, hey, follow me. And that's okay. Because there are already people who are following you. There are people who are following you at work. There are people who are following you at school. There are people who are following you who are your friends. There are probably even people who are following you on Twitter. The trick is not really getting people to follow you. They already do. Whether it be a child or somebody older, there are people who are following you. The trick isn't to get them to follow you. The trick is to point to Jesus and to say, come and see. Amen.